This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's Known and Ever podcast, and finally, for the first time in a couple of months, we've got a win to talk about, so it should be a more up... More upbeat podcast than it has been on recent weeks. Uh, guests this week are James Jordan and Daniel. Lots and lots to go through about Saturday's 1-0 win over Manchester City that I don't think anyone really saw coming. So we'll start with you, James. Unexpected, but deserved, I think, is a, a fair summary. Do you agree? Yeah, so, you know, we, we outworked them over the course of the 90 minutes and, you know, we deserve what we got. And that, that was a surprise, three points, but... Um, you know, you take that at this point of the season when you know we're in need. You definitely, you know, like to beat sides like that because you, you don't know what sort of effect the confidence of beating the the reigning champions can have on the next few games. City weren't at their best, worthy, but I think it's it's it, you need to point out that it was Burnley making them play badly more than anything else. I think they they were obviously well below par, but that was because we played so well. Yeah, I mean, obviously they weren't they weren't the standard you'd expect from a team that that won the league last year. But um, you know, we did everything we could to you know to influence the result. And I think that if you do that, you can't really ask for much more, can you? So you know, the the way we played, the way I think George Boyd spoke about the fact that we'd we'd looked at video of their game against Liverpool, and we'd seen where their weaknesses were, and we tried to you know press them in those positions to to, to force things our way. Jordan, if we can bring you in now. Burnley's performance, I think, was arguably the best 90 minutes of the season. We've seen good first halves or good second halves, but the way we controlled the game by holding City at arm's length, I thought that was possibly the most impressive part of the afternoon. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, City rely on possession, as a lot of teams do, to win the games. Obviously, they they play it nice and, and slick around the area, but I think when we squeeze those spaces and close them down, um, you could see it was having an effect on them and, and we nullified their threats really. I mean, Sergio Aguero had a couple of clear-cut opportunities but nothing um, too kind of um, obvious for him, shall we say. And David Silver obviously fluffed his lines in the second half. But I think, you know, that's down to, you know, the way we positioned our players. You know, we, we forced David Silver wide a bit um, with that particular chance. Um, I remember Duff making a great block on Sergio Aguero. So, 
Um, I think there's a lot of factors in in our victory, but I think the main one is is that quality that has been there since Dutch took over, which is the squeezing of the space, um, pressing the opposition high up the pitch, and not allowing their their flair players and the creative players to get on the ball because um, obviously that would have been would have been dangerous. Um, David Silva sorted on the left, but seemed uh, comfortable drifting in from that from that wing and. and Occupying the little pocket of space in between our defensive midfield, but I thought we picked him up um, brilliantly, and and we didn't really allow him to get on the ball and create much. So, um, like I said, it, it's not um, not a complex kind of formula that we used to win. It was just one that's served us so well, and it served us well again on Saturday. We certainly pressed more like last season. I think all games this year we've, we've stood off teams a bit too much, but really got in City's face and denied them the space. I think that was really impressive. Daniel, welcome back to the podcast. We've not had you on for a little while so welcome back what's what's your assessment of Saturday's performance um, I don't want to take anything away from uh, our performance but uh, I think City handed it to us I think I think uh, what Pellegrini going with a 4-4-2 for a team that is just not suited to, to play like that um, you had um, Zabaleta and the uh, who was in front of him uh, was it Navas just Navas in front of Zabaleta yeah on the right yeah they they weren't on the same page, and and so you didn't have I, either of them being a particular threat, other than when obviously uh, Zabaleta got into the to the box uh, towards the end of the game, and we got a real let off there. Um, clearly, we were the more motivated team, more organised, and we took advantage of, of City set up wrong and with a with a lethargic performance. The City were a bit of a disappointment, but I still think it was us, us forcing a lot of the errors that they made. Yaya Torre, I thought, was particularly disappointing. It was interesting that the the analysis piece we've put on the site today, Monday, had Aguero down as Nate, and I thought Aguero was very poor as well. There were a couple of moments where you'd have expected him to punish us, but didn't really make the most of it. I think the, the main chance City had, though, was the... The moment when Aguero did get away and then played in silver and he's just took him down. Um, the penalty at the end of the game, when Zabaleta went down under a challenge from Ben Mee, what did you think of that, James? Do you think we were maybe a little bit lucky there? Um, yeah, I thought you know, that's a stonewall penalty uh, any day of the week. And um, we've been we've been given a gift there. <laughs> Are we all in agreement with that, John? Do you agree it was a penalty? Ben Mee seemed a bit sheepish on match of the day, didn't he? Yeah, it was a it was a penalty, but um, Darch was the first to testify what we all believe that these things equal themselves out over the course of the season. And when you think back to the Swans game the other week, and Sam Vokes went down, you know, a lot of people thought that was a penalty and it wasn't given. But I think we've uh, we've rolled our luck a bit on that particular decision. And um, yeah, but but yeah, it was a penalty. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. And you're right. We do talk about decisions evening themselves out. And- Hopefully that will be the case because I think we maybe owed a couple from earlier in the season. We'll have to see how that one plays out. Um, we don't normally get to talk about Dash making changes on the podcast because he never makes any, but there were two different players in the lineup. Sam Volks was back at last and Michael Duff came in for Keane as well. We'll start with Volks because um, I in particular wanted him to be in the side for a long time, so I was very pleased to see him on the on the on the team sheet uh, Daniel how did you think Big Sam did and Ashley Barnes filling in on the left wing were you a bit surprised that it was 4-4-2 rather than 4-3-3 after you saw the lineup? Um not really uh, yeah obviously uh, Ashley Barnes isn't a natural winger but um, Daesh has played more Im- immobile players wide before um, I, th- I thought Sam Vokes was absolutely excellent 
uh, and it was the Sandvokes, I think we all remembered, um, just winning things and holding stuff up and getting Ings involved uh, a lot more. Um, I, th- I think that's going to be a, a huge factor in the, in the last nine games that we've got is get is getting Big Sam involved, and uh, I think it's if anything's going to keep us up, I think it's it's f- Sam with fresh legs and and some confidence coming to the side. He's looked bright in the last couple of games, hasn't he, Sam Volts? And I suppose that Dash will argue that the timing was right, but could he have been in the side a bit early? What do you think, Jordan? Possibly. Um, I thought his impact on Saturday was was really good. Um, as Daniel said, his hold up play and, and bringing others into play was was terrific. Um, still obviously lacking that little bit of, of um, sharpness you might say after such a long spell out and the partnership with Ings it wasn't quite there yet um, in terms of bringing him earlier I mean obviously we won't know how we would have done if, if it had come in earlier we'll never know but um, I think you know there's no time like the present and, and I'm glad he did bring him in against City because I think his heart and his ability in the air um, will have caused an out of form Vincent Company and Martin Demichelis a lot of problems as, as, as we could see Um so, you know, he could have been brought in earlier, but I just hope we haven't left it too late uh, for these final nine games. And if Vokes and Ings are to click like they did last season, even if it's just shades of what they did last season, then I think we stand a much, much better chance for them to uh, lead in the line for us. I think there was hope that it was going to be immediate, wasn't it? The, the connection between Ings and Vokes that was so clear for everyone to see last year. It wasn't quite there on Saturday, but there were the outside, and Vokes caused so many problems on his own leading that line and holding the ball. I think there was plenty of positive for the for the rest of the season and hopefully we'll see plenty more of those things up front because I think that is the partnership we need to go with. James, what's your thoughts on our attacking lineup on Saturday with Barnes filling in on the left? I thought he, he did a pretty good job, but it was, it was obviously it was really out of position. Yeah, I thought it was a strange one. I didn't expect to see you know three three strikers on the pitch, particularly well, not those three. And if you were to say it was those three, you'd have thought maybe you'd put Danny Ings out wide and been a, a bit more mobile than even the other two but you know yeah I think he worked hard and you can't really complain with you know what he did he clearly went out and you know and did exactly what Dash had asked him to do there was certainly there was a moment in the first half I think when I think it was Torre was stretching his legs and looked like he was really going to cause a problem and Barnes got back really well to get a foot in I think that that really summed up the, the desire and work rate that Barnes brings to the team even if he's not going to play up front and I think the decision to, to play Barnes like wide rather than Ings was probably just about goals you want Ings in and around the box as much as possible Barnes has been doing a really good job but I think he's only scored once since the turn of the year so he's a, a little bit out of form in front of goal so maybe he decided that the work rate that Barnes would offer maybe over Kitely was the reason to do that um, the other change was at the back of course I think we've talked about this on the podcast in, in recent weeks the possibility of Duff coming back in for Michael Keane it was that that Dash made that change in the week that Michael Duff was awarded his testimonial which it's been announced is going to be a pre-season game for next season um, but I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic considering he's, he's only played one FA Cup game since November he's been out on the side he was playing against Sergio Aguero who's one of the best strikers in the world even though he wasn't his best I just thought it was absolutely first class I couldn't believe he didn't get the, the man of the match award Daniel what, what do you think Duff brings to the side over Keenan why do you think Dash made that decision now rather than a while ago uh, I can't work out why Dash made the decision but it turned out to be quite inspired um, Ed, Duff just brings you a level head. He's seen it all. He's seen it every uh, every you know tier of the of the game. And if you you know, it, I think something had to be done with the way we were conceding goals. 
it was very predictable how we were conceding goals. And if you if you're conceding goals from set pieces and from corners, that's an organisational issue. And you know, Michael Duff it knows the position he needs to be in. He knows. He's not as fast as the strikers he's going up against, so he knows the position he's got to get in there. Um, I think it's you know a great changer, and I, I think he definitely deserves to stay in the side. I think Michael Keane will be fantastic in years to come, and he's had some great experience this season, but I would love to see Duff in, in the side for the remainder of the season if he, uh, if he stays fit. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think we've, we've argued for keen on the podcast before and he is obviously the future and he was bought as Duff Long's own replacement but the goals we were conceding it did seem to be keen on the scene getting beaten in the air quite regularly so Duff will hopefully bring an end to the sort of goals that we have been letting really soft goals from set pieces we did seem to defend a bit deeper than we have been on Saturday which may be accommodating for Duff's lack of pace but I thought the shape was absolutely first class the two banks of four were teched but really you saw when City were coming forward they were Absolutely in exactly the right position and that's part of the reason I think City really struggled to get through. Jordan, what's your take on the Duff Keane situation and are you with Daniel? Do you think it's Duff shirt for the rest of the season now after Saturday's display? Absolutely, I agree. Um Duff was, was brilliant on Saturday. I think like Daniel touched on, he brings a couple of things to the game that, that Michael Keane doesn't um or doesn't do yet. Um that experience, that know how, um as we've touched on, you know, he hasn't got the mobility. Um not that I think he's ever really had bundles of pace, but um, that loss of mobility a bit um, hasn't really hampered him. He's altered his game and has tailored his game towards being a bit slower and and, and taking up better positions and having a uh, better positional awareness. Um, and I think his, his prowess in the air as well, I mean, as you touched on Keane, maybe not... Uh, um, solely at fault for some of the headed goals we've conceded in recent games but maybe you know Michael Duffy had been in the side would have prevented a few of those and um, you know his aerial prowess is always you know a big big plus for us um, I think Keane has done obviously really really well for us but I think just recently there's been signs that maybe you know with it being his, his first real kind of consistent taste of first team football at, at this level that maybe you know he's perhaps not just quite ready for it I mean he's, I think he's tailed off a bit his performance haven't been um, what they were towards the back end of, of last season. Uh, sorry, last year, last calendar year. Um, I was there when uh, Keane came on to replace Duff actually against Stoke in November, um, and then you know I was there again on Saturday when Duff came in, and it it didn't really seem like he'd been away for that length of time. He, he just slotted in effortlessly, and I think what he does as well is help Shackle a lot. Um, Shackle's of course our, our captain, our leader, but I think just having that that level alongside him, um, I think they work so well together. Um, and yes. I think it's tough shirt for the rest of the season. It's a really good point about Shackle, actually. I was going to bring that up next because I think Shackle's he's had very good games this season, but at times it seemed a bit much having to lead the side, organise the defence, and also guide Michael Kane through games a little bit. Now, Duff obviously doesn't need that. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's been there all the way through, and I think having that reliable partner, someone who, who you don't have to try and coach through the game at the same time, I think that was really beneficial for Shackle. Um, there were a lot of good individual performances on Saturday James but the player I want to ask you in particular about is Scott Arfield because for me that's the best he's played for Burnley and it was in central midfield Oh, Jamie, I've always told you he's a central midfielder. <laughs> and I've always told you there's been no evidence to say he's a central midfielder, but there was plenty of evidence on Saturday. Yeah, I think he had a, you know, he had a great game. and um, I'm sure I'm not the only person, but when uh, Dean Marnie was announced as being out for the season, I thought we might as well just um, stop preparing to bring the championship. But um, to be fair to him, Scott Arfield's you know, shown that he can he can fill in. He, obviously, he's not a direct 
replacement that they, they, no one I think in our, in our squad plays the same way that Dean Marnie does but you know he's doing a more than capable job and uh, you know particularly on Saturday when it's you know such a tough team to play I don't think you can really complain with, with what he's brought to the central midfield role you should mention um, Frederick Culverstad at this point, I suppose. He signed since our last normal podcast. I think he signed uh, while we were away doing our special Lee Who's David Baldwin podcast. So he, he's another option. Whether or not we'll see a lot of him this season, it seems like he's, he's one for the future as much as anything. But he maybe he has a little bit of competition that has brought out the best in Scar, so that's a possibility, I suppose. Um, we haven't even mentioned the goal yet, which was one of the best goals we've scored this season, I think, George Boyd's goal. Um, it was a pretty poor defensive header from company first and foremost, wasn't it? But the, the technique from George Boyd to find the bottom corner there, Daniel, it was one of those that as soon as he hit it, it looked like it was in. And I think Boyd knew that, didn't he? He was off celebrating before it even got past the goalkeeper. I mean, that's not just one of the best goals this season. That's just one of the best Burnley goals I've seen. Um, I don't, I mean, company's obviously been getting a lot of stick uh, for his poor performances and obviously he's been out of the city side for a bit. Um, I, I don't think he's that much to blame with, with the goal, to be honest. Just the way the ball came to him, there was not much power he could get on it. Um, so it was, you know, very fortunately just falls to Boyd's foot. And and for me, that's 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 just one of the, 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 the best Burnley goals that I've seen. Uh, that's up there for me with Robbie versus United and Martin Patterson versus Reading and it, it just uh, as sweet a strike as you'll see if we stay up by a couple of points I think that's the sort of goal that we'll be remembering as, as one that really made the difference Jordan he'd had a sight a, a couple of minutes before the goal hadn't he with his right foot a volley that had gone just wide um, I think Boyd's form has tailed off a little bit in the last few weeks I think it's it's end product with, with George Boyd sometimes you get it sometimes you don't but if there were any critics asking what he's been doing for the last few weeks, that's a hell of a way to answer them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, as you say, even though his performances haven't quite been up to his usual standards, the stats still show that he's putting in just as much work as what he was, which you know could be an attempt to kind of rectify those those performances somewhat. You know, the effort and the application is still there. Um, and yeah, you know, he came very close with that right-footed um, effort a couple of minutes before his goal, which was, as Daniel said, you know, one of the one of the best burner goals we've seen. And it's weird how we seem to save, you know, a lot of our best goals against the big teams. You know, Blake versus United and our field on the opening day of this season against Chelsea which I think they were they were quite similar you know poised on the edge of the area and waiting for that clearance away to smash it back in um, it was a wonderful goal um, and it shipped in with a few important ones this season as, as George Boyd he, um, he scored against Newcastle at home uh, and away for us to get us to get us valuable points there what you know they could possibly turn out to be that way so um, I think for three million pounds the uh, desire like I said the effort the commitment and, and the goals and the assists as well I mean phew, He's got to be one of the best pieces of business we've done for a very, very long time, I think. He's the only player so far to have scored home and away against Manchester City this season as well. He seems to be a player for the big occasion, although I think we should mention that he was um, comfortably offside at the Etihad. That's, that's another one of those moments that we might look at and think we got a little bit lucky there. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is Tom Heaton, actually. He didn't have that much to do on Saturday, but I thought he acquitted himself well. Maybe uh, benefited from having Duff and Shackle, who have been such a good pairing in front of him. Um, I think there is a possibility, and it is only a possibility, maybe an outside chance that he could be in the next England squad, and that's because Ben Foster's went off injured at the weekend, and he's been in really bad form. And there's only five goalkeepers, five English goalkeepers, playing regularly in the Premier League this season. I think um, Ben 
Ben Hamer at Leicester makes it six, but he's not really first choice. It's just because Casper Schmeichel's been injured. Um, James, what do you think about the possibility of Heaton playing for England? Is it a bit pie in the sky? Is it me looking with current and blue tinted spectacles that there's a possibility there? For me, it looks like Heaton all green for the last spot with the squad that's going to be announced um, on Thursday, I think. Um, I mean, personally, I think the same as you. I, I don't see a reason to not you know, give him a go. But I, I just, for some reason, can't really see that he's probably even particularly on the radar. Um, which is wrong because, I mean, you know, even though we have uh, struggled to you know, keep clean sheets, I don't think you can really attribute a lot of the goals to, to Heaton, um, you know, apart from maybe the other week when he sort of kneeled into his own net. So, I mean, other yeah. than that, I, I think, think, I think actually the, the goal against Swansea, I think, was the only error directly leading to a goal that he's made all season. Steve Kelly did a piece on the site about defensive mistakes. <laughs> And by his calculation, Heaton hadn't made any at that point, so it was Steve's fault that um, he literally threw one yeah, in against Swansea. Always an accurate measure. He's doing pretty well in fantasy football. That is about the I, most accurate measure you can I, come up I'd, with. I'd imagine, go on a limb, he could well be the highest scoring English keeper. He could be. I, I, he was certainly up there. I had a quick look for, for research purposes early in the day, and he was... In the top five or six, I think. I don't know if there was any English. But I think Forster probably is. He's kept a lot of clean sheets this season. I think Forster's kept more clean sheets than anyone. I think um, Daniel. If we assume that Joe Hart's number one and Fraser Forster's number two, do you think there is a possibility of Heaton getting in that squad, or is it going to go to somebody else? I don't think. Uh, I don't think he's going to be on Hodgson's radar. To be honest, um, I think what we've seen in recent years with uh, England goalkeeper call-ups is you'll get uh, a highly rated youngster from the lower leagues like Butland or someone called up um, and then it, the the main picks will always be proven uh, goalkeeping veterans so you know Rob Green will be more likely to get in I think than Tom Heaton I think Green's an interesting one because I agree he's, he's outperformed Heaton this season but he's 35 I know that's not massively old for a goalkeeper but he's getting on he's not been in he's, it's three years since he played for England um, I think it'd be interesting if he went back to Green John Ruddy is the other candidate but he did a Heaton and threw one into his own net at the weekend and he's playing in the championship so I, I, I really don't know what Hodgson's going to do if Foster is unavailable. Jordan, what's your take on the situation? Um, I think it is between Heaton and uh, Rob Green, personally. I think, although obviously we're both struggling, both two teams are struggling down the bottom of the table, um, I think Heaton and Green have been standout performers for their respective sides this season. I remember when we played QPR away, Green seemed to have one of those games where um, you know everything we got on target is saved. Um, so he's been good, and ironically, I think we're the two sides as well that have conceded the most goals this season. So make of that what you will. But I, I, I don't think John Rudd is in in the running. Um, as you said, he had that uh, howler against Derby on Saturday, and um, Heaton up until the Swansea game hadn't put a foot wrong, and, and even then, you know, you you, you couldn't really uh, criticise him too much. I don't think um, bit of pinball in the area, but um, there are areas where Heaton perhaps needs to improve to get in, um, to force his way into the reckoning more than Green, perhaps you know, commanding his area a bit more and collecting crosses, perhaps. But um, I certainly think he's is with a shout. Whether he gets in or not, um, I doubt. But um, I think he certainly deserves a, a, a closer look. It will be interesting. I think Roy Hodgson has spoken quite positively about Danny Ings, so 
he must have seen some Burnley games this season. I just think Heaton's he's maybe too unfussy to catch the eye. Is that a, a fair way to describe him? He doesn't seem to make outstanding saves. He doesn't um, make mistakes either. So he's quite reliable, which is probably what you want from a goalkeeper. But if you're trying to catch somebody's eye, maybe that's not going to work in his favour. Uh, moving on then, the, the news today was that Gustavo Poye has lost his job at Sunderland, which was probably inevitable um, after they were 4-0 down at home to Aston Villa at half-time. Sunderland are just a point ahead of us in the league table at the moment and are pretty much in free fall. so it will be interesting to see who they go for. Dick Advocar is apparently the, the guy they are talking to and he's had about nine jobs in the last nine years, which is about as often as I change my bedsheet, so it'll be interesting to see if they go for him. Um, James, what's your assessment of the relegation picture at the moment? Saturday's win obviously puts us in a stronger position, it gets us above QPR. Do you think QPR and Leicester are maybe gone at this stage? Do you think it's between the bottom six, Everton's win seems to have taken them clear. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I think that really it is now sort of between whether we're going to go down on one of the other sides. Um, you know, I can't really see Leicester in particular getting getting back out of their situation. They just you know seem to be well. When did they last win? Quite a while ago, I imagine, wasn't it? And they, they just don't seem to to be the side that they promised to be early on. When I think everyone said that out of the you know out of us and them, they'd done a lot better business. They were, they were actually making a go at the Premier League, and now they're stuck at the bottom of the table, six points behind us. So um, it's not really turned out. I'd imagine the way most people have said. Um, but I think obviously Poyer going at Sunderland. Um, I mean that really gives well, it's either you know an opportunity for us that they're going to sort of continue a downward spiral or it could be bad where you see sometimes a new manager comes in suddenly the players remember how to play football um, and they get themselves out of trouble but I think really you've got to look at Hull Villa and Sunderland as the teams that we need to get one of them to be below us on the final day of the season Yeah I think it's it's a tricky one at Sunderland I think they are they are just hoping for that new manager bounce so I think it was 100% Poyer was going to take them down the way it was going so it's it's an act of desperation there was an interesting piece today actually I can't remember who it was by I think it was on the Eurosport website that was looking at the statistics about changing managers late in the season and the conclusion was that if you're in trouble and you change your manager this late, don't really have any benefit. They've left it too late. If you do a Villa or a West Brom and do it earlier in the season and get a better manager as well, then you get a bit of an upturn. But if you do it at this stage, you're trying to get somebody to come in for eight, nine games at the end of the season, it might not make that much of a difference. Um, Daniel, what's your take on the whole situation? Do you think Sunderland are just like last throw of the dice with getting rid of Poyer? I mean, Sunderland have had success with this tactic twice now uh, with De Canio and Poyet when he first came in um, so I guess they're hoping on that again but uh, I mean not even just for, from Burnley's perspective I hope it doesn't work I, I think uh, I think it's time for Sunderland to come down from the Premier League to be honest I have I know you might have a soft spot for them from your uni days, but... No, not really. I don't think it's fine. because <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be funny. <laughs> they're, they're, that is a functional club, and they have been so scrappy to stay in the Premier League this long because they, they are an absolute mess of a club. The behaviour of their players, the sacking of managers, uh, they, t- it's time for them to go out of the Premier League. So I really hope that this doesn't work for them. Um, but they have had success doing that before. It just depends who who they can get in because when they got in De Canio and Poyet, these are you know uh, fiery 
you know, Italian, uh, Uruguayans, you know, like they they came in and obviously fired the team up. And I haven't seen if Sunderland have got a replacement in him, but I, I saw like Kevin Ball taking over on like a caretaker basis. And uh, God bless Kevin Ball, but I, I don't think he's going to sort of inspire uh, Sunderland into uh, enough victories to keep him up. You might scare them to survival. Just say to them, win some games or I'm going to kneecap you. That's the only way Kevin Ball could, could keep them up. Um, Jordan, last season, some of them were quite lucky, weren't they? Connor Wickham came good against all the odds. They got a really dodgy penalty at Chelsea uh, when Altidore fell over in the box that so they got a surprising win at Stamford Bridge. Do you think it's just time for them to go? Have they left it too late? What's, what's your take on the situation? Um, well, I think... I think it is time for them to go personally. Um, as Daniel alluded to, the likes of Di Canio and Poyet, managers with that type of profile, will be good at, at, at sort of doing this sort of role, you know, coming in late into a season and, and sparking a team into life. I think Tim Sherwood's a similar sort of breed at Aston Villa. I, I don't like how he's a, uh, perceived to be this English messiah, but one thing he is good at is man motivation. And obviously, with no transfer window and, um, you know, he can't bring his own players in, he's had to fire up what he's got there, and it seems to be working at the minute. But um, I think it is time for them to go. I also think in January they, they put all their eggs in a um, Jimmy and Defoe shaped basket and that's completely backfired because... Quite a uh, leaky basket, that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, he hasn't really kind of come in to do what they expected to do, which was to get in and, and grab a few goals and help fight them to safety. I think he's only scored a couple, um, one against us, of course. So, um, yeah, I, I think we've shown a lot more fire and, and spirit and grit to stay up, and we've shown wanted it more. Um, and they seem to be, you know, heading towards um, heading towards relegation. Um, but I don't think anyone at this stage in the the game can can really save them. They do have some talent. I mean, we've mentioned Defoe. I think the the problem with getting Defoe in was that they were trying to fix something further along. Their problem was that they don't have the creativity. I think apart from Adam Johnson, they haven't really got a supply line. So they bought a striker when they weren't got anyone to make chances for him. So I feel a bit sorry for Defoe, but then he's getting paid an awful lot of money to play for a deeply mediocre side, so I don't feel that bad for him. Amazingly enough, um, Villa scoring four in 44 minutes at the stadium, like something like doubled their away goals all season, but we didn't manage to score against Sunderland at all this season. It was nil-nil at our place and two-nil at theirs, <laughs> which is, is maybe an indication of how we fared against the, the teams at the bottom. So there's nine games to go, James. You've said keep your own last of goners. At this stage, do you back us to stay up or do you think it's still going to be tricky? Is it us or Sunderland? If you'd, <coughs> if you'd asked me... It changes by the week, doesn't it? Yeah, if you'd asked me before Saturday, I would have said that, that we're down. But just, you know, if we can pull out a performance like, you know, like Saturday again against either one of Arsenal or Tottenham, um, then I think we've got to fancy our chances of, you know, just about making it. And obviously, Leicester are to come to the turf and they could have got three more beatings. Well, actually, they've got a game in hand on them. I don't know when they play that, but they could have had four more beatings by the time they come to the turf, um, which means we could be in a you know a reasonable position to beat them. Um, but I just hope whatever happens, it doesn't come down to the last day of the season against Villa, um, because that would be, I think, too much to, to bear. It would be pretty awful, but I think I'd, I'd take still being in the mix there rather than uh, being already down. So we'll have to I don't see know. how that I, Imagine there. the scenario. It's who's all them. 
depending who wins. Yeah, it will, it will be terrible. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to cope. But, I'll tell you yeah. what's going to happen. I, and I, it's going to be, you know, that uh, match of the day, the last season match of the last game of the season match of the day where well, the, the, between the, the, cuts, the cuts between yeah. all the different yeah. rounds. I nailed on that's going to happen because I still I still think Villa will be in the mix to go down. Um, and the result of our game will 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 be an influence on that. Um, I know they had that great result, and Sherwood's had a you know a, an immediate positive impact for them. But uh, I still think they're going to be there or thereabout. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I can see it being maybe a, a three-way three-way thing to, for one of us to go down at the end of the season. Someone put um, Hull's fixtures on Twitter the other day, and their fixtures look horrible. I think they've got five home games to come. One's against us, and then the other four are teams from the top five or six in the league. They've got. I think maybe both Manchester clubs and Chelsea and Arsenal, maybe. I think the fixtures are basically pretty horrible. I think there's a chance that they could get sucked in as well. And looking at it in terms of points, um, Hull have got 28, Villa have got 28 at the moment, Sunderland are on 26 and we're on 25. Jordan, 37 has been mentioned quite a lot as, as a sort of magic number. I think 37 almost certainly keeps you up most seasons. Does the fact Leicester and QPR are a bit cut adrift mean that that's going to be a bit lower? What's your view on sort of points? Do you think 35 might be enough? A lot of people are saying 35. Um, well, obviously certainly lower than the, the much-heralded 40-point mark. I think I think Leicester and QPR, are, I think they'll bring the average down somewhat and then I think we've established it's a three or four-team tussle for the, uh, you know, the, the, that third relegation place. Um, I'm not too sure about points, but I'm, I've just had a look at Sunderland's fixtures and there's some inter- interesting ones in there. They've got Newcastle at home, of course, a Derby. They've got Arsenal to face away and um, Chelsea away on the final day, which will be interesting. Um say the least but um, yeah with, with regards to points um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure I mean all, all I'd focus on and I'm kind of channeling my inner Sean Dart here is that we can win maybe <laughs> one game uh, at a time yeah, yeah one game at a time and then maybe looking at three or four wins from our final nine games or so and, and then obviously a few draws in there perhaps as well so um, yeah that would be my, my answer <laughs> If we if we've got twenty five now, I think three wins and a couple of draws probably does it. I think looking at the fixtures we've got, it's it's amazing the turnaround. As James said after after Saturday, everyone suddenly thinks that we could get something against Arsenal and Spurs and Everton away doesn't look tricky anymore. And I, I just think in the running we've got more six pointers than the other teams. I think, and if we can get results there. I think that keeps us up. You look at Leicester at home, we have to win that. Stoke at home is very winnable. We've got to go to Hull and Villa and Everton. I think there's enough games in there that we can win. It'll be our own fault at the end of the day if we go down. I don't think teams go down due to bad luck. We'll just have to see how that one plays out. Next up, though, is Southampton away. Um, now, we beat Southampton at home thanks to quite a lucky goal and a penalty that was saved at the end. Um, their form has tailed off again a little bit. And when we played them at home, they were in a, a dodgy patch of form that they later recovered from um, their chances of getting into the top four took a little bit of a hit over the weekend with other results although they did get a point at Chelsea they're a good side but they haven't been scoring a lot of goals recently what's what's your view of Saturday's game Daniel do you think we've got a good chance of getting something at St Mary's draw at best for me um 
and I, I'd be very, very happy with that. I think I, th- I think a really draw is, is the best we can hope for at this point. I think Southampton at home are a very well organised side, um, and they are motivated to get into Europe. They're you know they're, they're still very much in contention there with you know some of the teams you know up with Liverpool and Man United. They're they're all three of those are, are chasing after. You know, maybe even City's spot in the top four. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't give as much chance of a win. But I think uh, if, if we stay organised like we were against City, then we might be able to sneak a goal and, and get a draw out of it. I think if we defend as well as we do on Saturday, we've every chance of getting something. Another clean sheet will be good. I'll take nil nil if you offer that to me now. And the other games at the bottom that, that we'll be looking out for: Villa are at home to Swansea. That's another opportunity for them to get points, I suppose. Last year, we've got to go to Spurs. Um, Hull are at home to Chelsea on Sunday QPR at home to Everton on Sunday so a mixed bag there really um, Jordan DC has been able to get a result at St Mary's at the weekend Southampton have the best defensive record in the league I've just been told um, I think uh, yeah probably a point's the best we can hope for I think they've been at times at home in scintillating form and they've put a lot of teams to the sword at, uh, at St Mary's this season so um, they, they've got a um, play a good system it's a nice system they've got a lot of pace and energy I think behind the main striker with you know Shane Long Tadic uh, Sado I think um, so it, it'll be difficult it's just a case of playing to our strengths once again and trying to contain them um, you know but um, yeah they're so strong defensively as well it, it's going forward that's going to be another another tough battle for us but um, no I, I think we've gone to places like Manchester City and Chelsea and, and got very valuable and, and very impressive points um, so you know I, I can see it being either sort of a tight game where we can snatch something from or I can see us being 2 or 3 nil. um 3 0 down, um, unfortunately. Cover all the bases there. Um, James, we'll round <laughs> off with you then. What's your view and give us a prediction as well? Because we are coming towards the end of this week's podcast. Yo, so as, as I told you in the, the chat, they got the, uh, the best defensive record in the <laughs> I, can't, yeah. I, I stole that statistic, but you decided to still use it anyway. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think in the sort of recently, the, the goals have dried up a little bit for Southampton. Um, you know, they did have. They, they were scoring quite a lot early in the season, but I think they've just scored eight in the last ten. Um, which, for a side in you know their sort of position, you'd think they'd maybe have a you know score a few more in that sort of spell, especially with some of the teams they've played. Like they've played QPR recently, who you'd expect them to um, destroy uh, would be the nice way of putting it. But I think it's you know if they continue on their current trend, you, you're probably looking at either a, a nil-nil draw or um, a one-nil win to them. Predictions from from um, you, Daniel. Gives us one nil Southampton. Jordan, you were covering your base, and you come to a decision. Um, I think I'll go with a two nil Southampton. I think it's going to be tight. I'm going to go for a one all. Um, so that is about all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Is ever if you've got any feedback or questions or anything, I don't. About the I don't know. I think there's still time to discuss whether uh, Brian Jensen should have had a testimonial. No, I don't, I don't think there is. We're going to have to <laughs> save that one for a future podcast. I'm afraid we are out of time. Sadly, sadly out of time. I was so desperate to talk about that, but we, we just can't. There's no time. Um, so if you do want to get in touch about Brian Jensen's testimonial, perhaps, please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at nonanever.net. You can tweet us as well at nonanevernet. Thanks to our sponsors, Neville G. We couldn't do the podcast or the website without them. Daniel, Jordan and James, thanks for joining us tonight as well. We'll be back next week. Bye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.